Hi, this is the UX Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Mann. And we are here with the first guest of season one with Carlos Velasquez. Thank you for being here so much, Carlos. Thank you, Nick, for having me. I'm, ha I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so let's begin with, uh, tell us a bit about your background. How'd you get to the place you are today? So I'm a UX designer by, I think I'm going to call it by accident, because I, I graduated college thinking that I was going to do marketing and digital marketing, um, you know, throughout my career. And really what ended up happening is that I had several jobs right out of college uh, that weren't really aligned with either digital marketing or anything else. It was more like, at the beginning, it was project management, customer advocate roles, uh, so really nothing aligned or as far as digital marketing. Then I, I went on to work at Cisco as a as a menu designer of all things. I actually designed a um, restaurant menus for Cisco's customers. Um, and that kind of put me in a path where I started to really enjoy the type of design work where you just kind of you know, see a problem or see a challenge and then get to sit down for hours on end on the computer and try to resolve the challenges. With menus, it's a little different because you basically have a set list of the items that need to be go there. But on the menu side, what you have to do is understand, you know, what is the prob probability of each item? And how does that play in the whole scheme or the whole structure of the menu? Do you want to sell more of those things? Do you want to sell less of those things? And that depends mm -hmm. on uh, probability and popularity. And you do the whole analysis. Uh, but it started there. Um, from there, I got involved with our teams at Cisco and I transitioned to digital marketing specialist um, in like right at the beginning of COVID in 2020. And I started, I started getting into the web design and web management of one of Cisco's properties. And I was and that, I did that for almost two years. Yeah. I really liked it. I, I love the uh, fact of mm -hmm. designing the website and talking to development teams and working sprints. And doing all of the, really what I was doing, I was working as a UX designer, but I didn't have data because I guess Cisco wasn't structured to have mm -hmm. uh, a UX designer then. But I was doing all the, I was kind of doing all the work. I was doing competitor analysis, uh, user testing, user behavior, uh, tracking data, tracking growth, whether the initiatives that were presenting were impacting the business uh, and so forth. I doing all the data analysis and all the metrics. Um, that that come with it and working with the development team and working through sprints and working through the challenges and I, i'm gonna go and say hey i want to do this thing and then they come back with uh, well with feasibility terms and they cannot do this because so and so so we have to find a in-between point so that that was my whole thing for two years um mm -hmm. right at the right at the beginning i didn't know that, that was ux like i just thought it was web design but digital from a digital marketing standpoint but the more i got into it the more i learned no, this is definitely UX. I, I can definitely do this. And I, this is what I want to do. Um, so I went ahead and I got a certified with Google, uh, with the Google's UX program. And I got certified, I went through the, all their courses. Uh, when I got done, I told my boss, look, this is where I want to move. Um, I've already done it for a couple of years now. I want to now move on to a formal UX role. Um, needless to say, they didn't really, they didn't really do anything to, you know, support me on that decision. They didn't really have any other role to offer me other than that. So I just decided to start, decided to start knocking on doors. And um, the company that I'm at, Academy Sports and Outdoor, 
which is an e-com site for if you're in the south southern area of the United States and the eastern area, it's a sports and outdoors uh, company. Like, um, I'm not sure if wants one around your area. Um, I think Dix is a national one. So if, if you're familiar with Dix, then you're familiar with Academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's basically that, and, I, and I'm in their e-commerce team, just kind of doing the UX for e-commerce, uh, and especially the, the card and the checkout and all of the bottom funnel experiences. So from card, then on. Um, and yeah, so that's how I landed that role. Uh, I was never a graphic designer or anything like that. I was just uh, a digital marketer, especially that happened to be yeah that's that's pretty similar to uh how i got into ux design as well as i started as a graphic designer and then eventually uh uh, specifically with uh, graphic design with print and i went into web design and you know once you get into web design you start you you get into the habit of ux design this inherently just through the traditional ways of how web design works so like being able to transition from the skill set, it just makes a lot of sense because some, a lot of it just like you've already been doing it without actually realizing it, you know? Yeah. 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 So now that uh, we are here as a UX designer, is that, so what, tell us a bit about what your typical work week looks like. Sure. Uh, mm- Typically what's going to happen is Monday through Fridays, I'm going to have in the morning, I'm going to have um, spring calls with different different teams or pods as we know them in the company. Um, mm-hmm. And because I manage card checkout, um, curbside pickup or order confirmation, those are all different pods. Um, so I'm, I'm going to have like two or three, two or three phone calls in the morning where we just, you know, go around like the spring and what's happening, uh, the devs, different updates and so forth. I'll give my updates and correspond with these signs and so forth. Then after the calls, I I get into really the design for like the next couple hours, um, mm-hmm. Monday through Friday. And uh, I'll I'll pick um, I'll have my list, I'll have my Jira board uh, set up with the priority. So I I know exactly what I need to work on and what I need to work on next. But to give you an example, I will, um, this week uh, we're working on some some functionality that will enable a user to share the card with a customer support team um, in preparation for peak. So peak will be the season, you know, the holiday season. And that's mm-hmm. for, for any commerce site, that's the, the high season. So in preparation for peak, we wanna, um, we're exploring the opportunity, if there's an opportunity to, or if it even makes sense to, to have the users easily share the card with support team. And, and, it, and, it, and then it comes, you know, a lot of like, well, does this make sense in the terms of the user? It makes sense in the terms of the business, but does it make sense mm-hmm. in the terms of the user? And it's going, is it going to affect people that don't didn't ask for it, people that don't need it, and is it going to distract them from what they were originally intended to do, which is purchase? Um, so there's a there's a whole conversation, but the, the goal is, all right, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to start planning out different uh, explorations, as we call it. What, what if we do this? Or the, what if we do this other thing? Once I have kind of an idea of what I want to do, I'm going to present that to my uh, core team or like my colleagues, my other UXers. I'm going to talk mm-hmm. to about my solution. I'm going to say, this is what I'm thinking. I'm going to gather feedback from them. That's, that's my first layer uh, of, of feedback. Um, because um, And this is something that I, it was really hard to get into, that mindset of like feedback is good and 
whenever you get feedback, you're not getting attacked, but you're actually building something better. But switching over to that mindset, it was, it was kind of difficult because at the, at the beginning, I'm, I was I was taking some stuff very personal, like, and I was um, kind of like attaching myself too much to what I was designing. And then whenever I got feedback, I felt um, I felt that it was perfect. So mm-hmm. I got the I got the first layer, and then I go to over the product manager of that pod and some of the business analysts, and I present that solution that's refined for the first round of feedback. And then you know they will call out uh, feasibility things. Uh, they will call out edge cases that I may have not considered. There's always edge cases that you that you think you that you think you thought of everything, but there there will always be edge cases that you did not consider um, because you know it might be functionality of the website you know existed or uh, things that could happen uh, you didn't consider. So once mm-hmm. they give me that feedback, I, I'll go back to adjust some of that based on the recommendation, and then lastly I'll present it to my boss and leadership say, this is what I'm thinking based on all the feedback. And then from that point on, usually what happens is uh, if they are good to go, it'll it'll get developed, but, but then it'll just be shown to a certain percentage of the visitors of the site. And after that, um, it'll there'll be some testing evaluation if it's working well and if it's performing, then it'll be throttled to 100% of the site. But that there's like that different points. That's one week will consist of doing that work um, actually, two weeks will consist of like doing that work, and then basically, once I'm done with that, next thing comes along, and then so forth and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that sounds uh, wow, pretty wonderful. And uh, the process of it sounds like it's very much streamlined. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, I make it sound very streamlined, but sometimes you know, as things happen in the company, they're not. Sometimes yeah. it's a little chaotic and you have to adjust and it's a little <laughs> bit flexible, but essentially that's how we want to work a hundred percent of the time. But it's, that's not yeah. always the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, very, I'm, I'm not used to a lot of structure in my work. <laughs> And my mm-hmm. work because like all like every agency I used to work in, man, it was a jungle every day. You don't, you really have no anticipation of what was gonna happen. And next thing you know, like what you're working on today is not gonna go tomorrow. <laughs> that's that's the bracket. That's a little bracket. I'm gonna I'm gonna admit I I'll have a hard time adjusting. I at least I at least need a little bit of a a peace of mind knowing that okay, I think tomorrow I'm gonna work on this. If things changes, I can be flexible, but I at least need like some kind of consistency in there <laughs> yeah no, I, I think a lot of the times i wish i had that too <laughs> i think <laughs> I, I think being in that environment for so long kind of has just already made me so easy going and not to put any kind of emotional value into my work so like when yeah, these really bad yeah you know, when these bad things happen like i i essentially feel nothing about it and i just take it in stride and move on to the next uh, task really that's what uh, that's what i'm essentially just been trained to be about now yeah a, a little a little process never hurt anybody that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah so carlos tell me about your favorite tools and resources you use in your work so as, as, as a resource, I, I really like Figma, but we don't use Figma anymore. So mm-hmm. uh, we use XD. I don't have a, I don't have a problem with XD. I think XD has some good things that I like. Um, like I think I, I'm able to stack things and like move things around easier than I do on Figma, but it's probably because I don't use Figma as much. But I, I do like Figma better because it allows me to um, 
basically they have pagination within their, their design files. So with the mm -hmm. same within Figma files, you can split things between explorations and research and um, uh, you know handoff and the problem and the metrics. So like on one design file, you could have all these other sub pages per se, and it'll it'll all be there when you need it. Uh, on XD, it's all this one blank canvas, and you just kind of have to space things around the canvas and put your research mm. in a in a corner and then put your metrics in a different corner and your user story. I like to have everything in like um in the same place so that I can always refer it back within the within the file. So like I'm gonna do my research, I'm gonna set us set up corner of the canvas to just do the research and take screenshots, uh, put notes. Uh, you know, what am I noticing here that the competitor is doing? What am I noticing here that the industry standard is like um, all of that is going to be contained within a corner of the canvas, and then I'm going to go over to another corner or another place, and I start doing the explorations. Um, and then after I'm, after I'm done doing all the explorations, there will be another space where I'm actually doing, okay, this is the actual draft. Everything else is just screens that I'm exploring and stuff like that. So I like Figma better because it gives me that organization level where on, on different pages. Um, and also, they, they, they're much more uh, I, don't, I don't know how to explain it more uh, advanced in terms of uh, shadows, colors, keeping things together, mm -hmm. um, sharing files with all with other colleagues. Uh, it's just a whole different world. So Figma is one of my favorites for sure. I, I say XD is a close second because I use it so much that um, you know it grows on you. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, uh, and that's really the most of that I use as far as tools. Um, there's other resources. I don't even have a tool that like um, Baymart is one of the industry standards for e-commerce, and they have they have a lot of um, primary research on things that they that they've done with um, with users and they have guidelines and best practices. So I consult them quite often just to check, you know, whether a button should be disabled or not disabled. Like there's a lot of things that you can ask on Baymark that will be answered. So Baymark is a little second. Oh, and then Miro, we use Miro to showcase our work to leadership. Um, mm. Yeah, I think Miro is a good tool, but it, I mean, I think there's, I think you could do the same with FigGem. Um, but it's been a while. We have all these files on Miro, so we'll just keep using it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I always hear so much praise with Figma. It's, uh, it was the first tool I've learned for UX design. And I yeah, definitely, yeah, I, know. I can certainly see why a lot of people love it so much. It feels like it's the, the cutting edge and the, like the overall future of the tools. Yeah, I, they definitely, the Figma team definitely has a solid understanding of who the users are because when you can tell a product is um, kind of anticipating your next move or what you want to do next, when when they can do that, you know that they have, you know, they, they understand who their user is, which is the same thing that happens with Canva. Speaking of tools, Canva might be another second uh, favorite tool. They also have a wonderful UX um, design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what advice do you have for people who want to get into UX design? Good question. Mm -hmm. I think UX design has this um, 
people look at you as a design and think, oh man, that looks so cool. I want to want to do that because it's very visual, right? It's part of like what's so appealing, right? The, the UI mm-hmm. of it. I think what maybe gets missed a lot is the the conversation and the research and kind of like the the legwork that needs to happen before you get to the UX mm-hmm. or the I'm sorry the UI design uh, and that part can be tedious and that can, and that part can be really mo- the more difficult the, because it's it's about interacting with others it's about asking questions it's about doing research um, perfect example today I had a conversation or I'm not gonna say heated but it was a it was a energetic conversation with 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 a PDM that wants to do something one way, then I have to defend my point of view from a user experience perspective on, and, and then I have to defend it on why. And that those interactions sometimes can get tricky because you know we, we, we either do what's right with the business or we do what's right with the business or a mixture of both. But sometimes it it just that becomes a difficult conversation and um, there's a lot of pushback and you have to push back as well and like be uh, determined enough to okay no this is the way we're gonna do it and I can be flexible but I'm not gonna be that flexible like that. I'm get, getting to that point even right now to me it's still difficult because I'm I'm a people pleaser by nature so I would much rather just check off the mark and do what they ask me but at the end of the day I'm the um, I'm the last line of defense towards you know customer advocacy on a, on a digital experience. So mm-hmm. I need to I need to defend that journey and how the user interacts with the site, uh, and I'm the last line of defense. So that weighs on me, and that's like that's difficult. I think that's one of the most difficult things. Um, the other thing is that goes along line with this is defending your design decisions. So why did you put the you know the button up on the top right corner, or why did you put the hard icon on the top left corner? Why did you do that? Any and it's usually. It's usually a wrong answer if you answer opposite just looks good. Mm-hmm. There needs to be more data-driven, uh, behavioral-driven decision-making on your on why you're doing stuff. And that sometimes can be difficult because you, well, sometimes you can't explain it and sometimes it's intuition, but explaining your intuition and, and selling it to leadership that only understands impact and numbers, I'm, I'm, I struggle there. To this day, every day, trying to like, okay, why, why I am building this way? Why am I designing this way? And trying to recap my steps and kind of have a conversation with myself, saying like, okay, well, explain to me, or why, why, why are we designing this way? And kind of have that conversation and get that thought process um, down, so that when I get asked and I know the reason why, and it's not just, oh, it looks good, it looks better that way. So. Oh, wow, I want an attention. So my advice is mm-hmm. if you think you if you think you like UX, definitely you know try a couple um, I say definitely try try one course, two courses, uh, and see if it's something for you because the research part and the decision making part is tedious. And that if you do not like that, um, you may struggle. Um, because before you get to that UI and design part of it, you may struggle in, to get there. So Try a couple of things. Um, try doing user research. Try doing competitive analysis. Try putting stuff together, presentations together, and um, I see how you like doing that part of the work. 
Yeah, yeah. You you know, you seemed like it was a tangent, but really it made sense about how it all connects into each other for the process of how you mm-hmm. go for the, the research to you get to the UI and the look of how what people see and interact with behind it. And then you go into the process and, you know, having to defend that because not everyone is going to get that first glance, you know, all the time. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, you hear that they need, they need a reason for why things are the way they are. And it's never because you like it or because it feels right. You know, those are usually not the the best words to use. Yeah, and I've learned that the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I I know. I've I've learned that a lot during my graphic design years too, because of the placements and like where does the eye go? Like when they're seeing like a brochure and when they're reading it from one section to another, and like they're probably gonna be having questions after they read a part. It's like, does the next follow up? They're gonna see the next panel gonna answer that question, and if not, they're gonna be like wondering what's going on here. So that's. <laughs> That's kind of like these kind of questions that we we need to ask ourselves so like they can follow through and be able to say like, hey, do I even need to think, you know, like where I'm going? And that's the process of it because, you know, a lot of good design, you know, is invisible. People don't think of good design, but man, do they need to see bad design when it happens? Uh, you know? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And you bring up a good point too, because sometimes we, I do this a lot. I get caught up on, when, I, when I'm designing a solution, I get so caught up on the happy path. The user clicks here, the user then goes here. You know, this is streamlined. It's perfect. It's the happy path, as we know. But so much of the work that we do falls outside of the happy path. And that, I think, when it, when it comes to design, that's really the most challenging, is thinking about those edge cases. What could people do so horribly wrong that they'll stray off the path and do something else? And how do we prevent them or how we course correct them if that happens or how we show some type of messaging that says you can't do this here or you gotta complete something before you do this and like that edge cases or things that fall outside of the habitat is really where the most challenging work of UX happen. So I also recommend to go back to the question it's also recommend try to think of not only happy path but think that for every happy path there is at least one edge case if not more usually more mm-hmm. yes also carlos what was the biggest lesson you've learned in your career so far ah good question um i think i think that what i always think about when it comes to lessons in my career is that every job that i have had has taught me like one one main lesson my very first job that I had, I was a a salvage trader. So for lack of a better word, imagine imagine there's a ship, there's a commercial ship um, on the ocean and they're they're shipping cars. And something happens to the ship and the ship uh, partially sinks, but then all the other cars get ruined, they all get salvaged, right? Someone yeah. somewhere in the world is going to buy those salvage cars for yeah, obviously a lot less money, but they buy for the parts, they buy for the metal, they buy for scrap. Someone's gonna buy them. So I was in a marketplace that you know sold salvage. Uh, and I was a broker for this salvage. So I'll I'll find the buyer, I'll find the seller and put them together and you know get money in that transaction. That job um, taught me to be persistent. And the boss that I had there, you know, founded on me like, you know, keep trying, 
keep trying, keep calling the seller, keep calling the buyer, keep trying, keep trying. That job can be persistent. Um, when I left that um, that job, I went to a um, a startup to work at a startup. I really, to make it short, I learned here that you gotta work hard and that work can be like, I, well, I learned two things. You gotta work hard and then that money is not that important because that's all, mm-hmm. I, it got to a point that I was making a lot of money at the startup, but I was very happy working all the time. So I learned here, really the main lesson is money is not all that important. Um, then I moved to Carvana. I, I think you've heard of them, Carvana, the car dealership, online car dealership. Mm-hmm. And I learned that uh, work can also be fun. Man, that was such a fun gig. I, I, have, I have fun every day working at Carvana. I love working there. Um, uh, and I, I learned that work can be fun and you can have a culture where people are you know, happy and can have fun and they still do a great job. It's kind of what I learned there. Um, and then at Cisco, you know, at Cisco really, the overall thing that I learned is that I like design and that I'm good at it. So um, I think it's, it's not a thing that I just want lesson that I learned throughout my career. It's more of like different lessons that I've learned throughout my roles that have led me to this position. So if, you, if, if I have an advice for your listeners is if you can't pinpoint lessons for every part of your job or every job that you had had, I think you're going on a, on a, on a good track, on a good path because you are learning from each experiences and taking something positive from each. So um, keep, keep your eyes open. What is the, what is the, the thing that you're learning now? Like right now, I think I'm learning to be a better product designer, a better UX, UXer. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is the actual overall lesson that I'll have by the time I leave Academy. It'll crystallize maybe years after I leave, but that's how I feel. That's how I feel right now. Like I have a talent for this, but I can, I can grow and I can be a little better. Yeah. I think that's also just a good feeling to have to know that you can always be improving. <laughs> the people who think they have done it all and there's nothing to improve are always those who are the most stagnant. And then oh, they get yeah. they get passed over. I and, agree. I mean, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's just a problem. So like, and like the self awareness is such a huge deal, and knowing what you don't know, and so that you can continue to learn, because that's why I've learned to adapt is the beginner mindset when it comes to learning anything, even if it's something that I've been doing for years. Because that's how you are able to keep uh, your ego in check and knowing that there is still so much more to learn in this life and nothing is ever just all, all you need to know. And that's how it always will be. You know, like the design industry of all, cor- of all courses are always constantly changing and trends, you know, and the way people use devices, you know, it's, it's changing. It's never like there's some, you know, there's rules that you can always follow, but there's always new ways you can implement them. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you have to keep an mind open. It's, it's a mixture of, you know, being diligent with seeing how things are done, but also keeping a mind open and kind of thinking outside the box. Uh, and there's, there's a mixture, there's a balance there. I haven't found, but there's a balance there that will take you very far. But my goal is to get to that point uh, where I'm like able to think outside the box without like mm-hmm. being too radical about it. Yes. So as we're drawing a close to this episode, what's the best way to reach out to you and support you? Uh, really, I'm the most active on my uh, UX career. I'm the most active on Twitter, uh, at NoCodeCarlos. Um, and we didn't, talk about, we didn't talk about NoCode, but I 
I feel that that would be no code or visual development languages like Bubble or, or like Webflow are going to be essential for UXers in the future because the, it, this will allow them pro, to prototype and to build solutions themselves rather than to having to rely on a development team. So this, a, a UXer 2.0 will have the ability to know code um, because, it, it, because it lowered the bar, the, it, it lowered the barrier to entry uh, into the development, into the software development world. So I think for a UXer, that's going to be the next frontier is to dominate the no-code uh, software. Yeah, so, and that, yeah, I can definitely yeah. see like that, that makes it easier to access as well. Is that mm -hmm. now, you, now you don't need to have such a, a difficult skill that takes, you know, can take a while to master. Yeah. Yeah. So no code Carlos, no code Carlos uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can find me there. Um, and I usually post about no code and UX, two, the two things. Um, uh, they really intersect each other, right? Because um, a lot of these people that are building things are building them, but then they're lacking the UX aspect of it. Um, and then the UX is really will, will have a an advantage knowing how to build because they already come with all this knowledge of design software or design digital experiences that not, that they now can do themselves. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and you can find Carlos' Twitter link found in the show notes as well as ways that you can contact me as well. So, Carlos, any closing words you'd like our audience to know about? Um, I, I'm really just more interested about uh, you and how. Um, you know, why you started the podcast. And I think, I think so having these conversations is important, but I'm curious, kind of like what made you, what, what was the starting point? What was the trigger that made you say, let's start this podcast? Uh, see, I've actually have experience with uh, podcasting for a while now. I've actually host uh, uh, the Don't Quit podcast. I've been doing that for about five years now. And that just started as myself, just learning how to become a, be a better student at the time, but also as like a better business owner, as well as my own motivation in my life. And it was through the process of learning through that. It was, it was essentially a guidance and me showcasing what I was learning at the time. And it was like a halfway point between becoming a better public speaker as well. And I just really became a great strength in learning podcast. And then I had guests on later, thanks to COVID, because I wasn't talking to anyone. And the whole process of this talking with people and learning how they worked and their process over, I just really became uh, enjoying that. And as I'm breaking into the UX design, I'm realizing that I, kinda, I need a network of people to be able to find out how, to, how I can really grasp into this career. And one of the biggest strengths I've had to make that possible is through podcasting. So I just figured, you know, like, why not have a UX podcast that be able to learn and teach and how we grow through the process of UX as I'm learning through it as well. So this is a pretty much a good showcase of everyone that's, you know, learning as well as I'm able to network with great people like you, Carlos. So that's kind of like where the, the inspiration of the UX growth podcast came from. No, I love it. Three things. First, uh, yeah, I can definitely tell that this is your this is this isn't your first podcast. Um, you host pretty well, and it's very smoothly. Uh, you 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 also have the voice for podcast. Uh, it, it sounds you sound like a pro. Um, the second second thing 
I love that you in embracing the fear or embracing that something that you want to get better at, you go full on and you start a podcast because you want to become a better public speaker. I really like that. I admire that. Um, mm-hmm. And third, um, I like what you're doing with this podcast because it shows from someone that wants to turn into, that wants to become a UX designer. It follows your journey as a host into learning about UX design, so they can follow your journey along with their with their own journey. So it's kind of like this, you know, everybody's at the same level, kind of growing together. So I think that's really appealing. I mean, I will, you know, I will continue listening because I'm sure you'll find you'll find people way better um, at this than I am. I'm, I'm looking forward to learn from them and learn from you as you interview them. So those two things I love. So doing a great job, man. And thank you yeah. for having me. Hey, yes. Uh, I'm, I'm so thankful to be able to have you as well, Carlos. It's because actually for like the longest time, the reason why I would never have guests on like any of my podcasts, because I always had this feeling of like, who would want to talk with me? I felt like I was a nobody. And it kind of, it's funny how you see these mental blocks that we tell ourselves that like we're mm-hmm. not good enough. And turns out that is not true at all because there's a lot of people who are willing to share their story for just anyone if you just reach out. So that's kind of like, where it could ties into like say like a lot of UX designers have this imposter syndrome, you know, where do you feel like they don't fit in, they don't, they aren't good enough. When really, like you are, you are good enough. It's just you have to believe in yourself that you can do it because you have gotten so far into this already. That like, you know, it's like you, you're you're setting yourself up for sabotage for like no reason. Yeah, I, I well, that's a super important topic to discuss, especially in UX design, uh, the imposter syndrome. Um, mm-hmm. so I think it's, it's good for a, for a second episode, uh, with, with someone <laughs> yes. else talk about imposter syndrome and how, how to overcome or how to like lean, lean to it and be comfortable with it. I don't think it ever goes away, but I, I, think, I think there are ways that like it helps, but yeah, it's, it's like anxiety. Like it never fully goes away, but there are mm-hmm. ways that helps. Right. Right. There are ways to help it. Nick, I, I love having this conversation with you and I don't want to take too much time. I know we only have 30 minutes, but thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate yes. it. All right. Thank you, Carlos, for being here. All right. Please do support our guests. And until then, you just listened to the UX Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Mann. Thank you for listening.